This week on the Faculty Factory Podcast. How do we then transition to new people, bring in new and different skills? We've always been about having people with different skill sets because we think that makes us stronger uh, because we are so different. And that's going to continue. So we've, we've got a lot of good things to look forward to with, with our office developing and growing and bringing in new people. Change can be, it's so disruptive, but it's so necessary. And I just think just stirring the pot and getting things, you know, excited and new and putting in new ingredients, it, you just have to reinvigorate. I mean, like you said, you've been in your role for nine years. And so I, I would actually get nervous when, if we had the same, same, same all the time, because then I'm starting to think we, we may become irrelevant, right? The new generations coming up and new tools and resources and techniques and medicine is changing so fast that we have to keep up with the way our faculty learn and want information. back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. On today's episode, we have Kathy Pipitone from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She's the Director of Faculty Affairs in the Office of Faculty Affairs. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing today? Hey, good morning. Doing great. Can you kind of trace back the history of your career as the Director of Faculty Affairs now? Yeah, so this started, um, I guess, back in um, 2009, um, around there, um, I was in the role of the a training manager um, and customer service liaison in act, uh, administrative affairs. And so um, in that role, I did um, soft skills training for all of the people that were um, under administrative affairs at that time. And there were probably about the 400 people in the different departments Um and in that customer service liaison role, went around to find out from the different people on campus what the issues were with, with the um, different services that were under administrative affairs, how could we do things differently, better, and that type of thing. And at that time, our vice dean of the School of Medicine, Luann Woodward, who just happens to now be our dean and, and vice chancellor for the entire school, um, she was concerned about faculty leaving and faculty that were coming to um, the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and they weren't staying long. They were leaving because they had bad experiences. So she had heard about faculty onboarding and thought maybe that's what we need to do, but they really didn't have any area or office to, to look into that. So another lady, um, Linda Barker and I, that were both in this um, customer service liaison employee uh, manager training role, um, were loaned to her for three months to work on this project to look at why are faculty leaving and what can we do differently? How do we do a faculty onboarding? So um, we started from ground zero and started interviewing new faculty and their experiences with coming to the medical center, um, what went well, what could have gone better. And we found that the majority of departments did not really have a very organized way of bringing their faculty in. Um, in some cases, faculty were um, getting in trouble by the Office of Compliance because compliance found out about them through a human resources report that came out like a month and a half after they were hired. So they were doing things inappropriately that they couldn't bill for, but they didn't know because they'd never been trained. People didn't have computers, logins, passwords, 
They got to the medical center, didn't have an office set up. So there was a lot of frustrating things for the faculty. And so in interviewing those people, looking at best practices, um, we looked at different websites that were around at that time for faculty affairs offices and had determined that in order for us as a medical center and an organization to do things better for faculty, we really needed people that took care of the faculty full time. That was our recommendation. And so we submitted those recommendations, and then um, our vice dean, uh, Luann Woodward, had determined that, okay, we need to create this office of people that are doing this. So she asked, would I be interested in, in um, starting the office with this other lady? And um, we said yes. And about that same time, um, Patrick Smith was in the family medicine. He was a psych- uh, psychologist, and they asked him to be an associate dean for faculty affairs because they were going to create this office. And so um, that is what they did. They um, hired the two of us. They hired Patrick. And we worked on our own for several months, and then they ended up putting us together. And we, at that time, then formed the Office of Faculty Affairs in, in about 2009. So you mean to tell me, this is just a fascinating story, that before that time, Faculty, it sounds like the departments just um, were on their own and hired people and brought them in and got them running. There was no standardization of any things of any type. So there was no systematic um, organization through the HR. So I'm assuming that, that that's the case, that everybody was on their own hiring people. And there was this just huge level of you know, heterogeneity in training or not training or resources or tools or, as you said, compliance or computers, that there probably wasn't a lot organized for faculty development or promotion and tenure or anything like that. That is correct. And so human resources did know when faculty were coming. They were informed by the department. At that time, faculty could be hired any day of the week. Um, They did go through human resources to get their I-9 done and sign contracts. But um, they signed a waiver that they did not have to go through any type of orientation or onboarding because they were faculty. So they were basically kind of above that. But um, we did realize through that, then they got nothing. You had, um, you know, frontline minimum wage people who were coming into the organization who were better trained and more knowledgeable on what they needed to do simply because they had processes in place for them going through the faculty, uh, I mean, going through the employee orientation. So, so yes, it was very um, – um, some departments did it pretty well, but there was no consistency. And um, promotion and tenure was done out of our vice chancellor's office, but it was very um, non-transparent. So um, left a lot of room for improvement. Wow, how frustrating for the faculty and for the staff, for everyone, thinking, oh, my gosh, we have a whole new crop of people. Oh, geez, now we have to train these docs up how to do things. Right. That is correct. So that was a lot of work to build up that whole office. Now, other than Patrick Smith, who we've already talked to on the Faculty Factory podcast, who else is in your office then? So is it still uh, um, Linda Barker with you? No, no, she was with us a, a couple years, and when she retired, um, at that time, they um, they changed the title of her role 
and um, Johnson George was then brought in, and Johnson had a project manager background, and, and he was in information systems before, so um, he was brought in as a director of, um, I'm trying to think of his his title at that time. It was, it was more of a project manager type of role, though, looking at design of the, the office and that type of thing. Um, and Johnson has since left. He was promoted um, in January, moved to the um, University of Texas in Houston at the McGovern School of Medicine. And he is now um, uh, an associate. Uh, let's see. What is uh, his title now is higher than the title that he was here. He's, I think, an executive director for faculty affairs. But he's over um a number of people and has a lot of room to, to grow there through their system. So when he left, we currently did change that role that he was in, and now it is going to be a director for faculty development. And so we're in the process of, of hiring someone right now to, to, to be in that role. So, but currently then it's just you and Patrick. Yeah, it's, it's Patrick and I. We do have um, under under Patrick, so there is that open role for, for faculty development, myself, we do have a director of leadership recruiting, and we have a recruiter that is under that director. Now, they they do some faculty recruiting um, as far as leaders go. They do chair searches. They do um, – when we have deans, they're doing dean searches and that type of thing. But they also do other high-level leadership um recruiting on the campus, and then they help departments with best practices for faculty, but they're not hiring um, the majority of faculty that are coming in, but they do fall under our office. Then we have a a project manager um, position and two um, administrative assistants. This is relatively new. Um, We have had two administrative assistants for the past several months. One of those Ladies is moving into the project manager role, and then we'll be filling another position. What we did realize is that Johnson and I were doing a lot of transactional work that could be done um, by other people. And so the goal is to move some of that transactional work to our administrative um, staff working with us so then we can look at what are other things within faculty affairs, faculty development that we need to um, work on at a higher level and have the time to actually develop those things. It's so interesting how everybody has a different organizational structure in their offices, offices of faculty development, office of faculty affairs, and I just find it so fascinating to see how each institution is so unique and has built a toolkit of um, resources purposely for that, you know, that home institution, that school. Like, th- this is the first time I've heard of someone having a director of leadership recruiting um, in faculty affairs who is, who, you know, looking at those things. So that's a first for me. Right, right. And I, I do think it's, um, in, in a lot of cases, those roles are under human resources. But um, it had started from us doing chair searches on the campus, and because they were done so well, then organizationally they determined that, okay, your office needs to continue to do that on a broader range, I guess, so to speak. See what happens when you do something well, right? That's right. That is right. What's what's happening um, in Mississippi that you are excited about or wanted to talk about today with, the, with our community? Well, one of the things I think we do that I believe is pretty unique in talking with other um, 
offices around the country in faculty affairs is that we do our faculty onboarding every other week. Um, a lot of people do it monthly or quarterly. Some people even only do it once a year. Um, we do it every other week um, as long as we have faculty starting, and we do have um, faculty start dates that are every other week. So I think that's, that's pretty unique and does help us get our faculty acclimated from the very beginning, so we feel it's important. We do it whether we have one new faculty member or, you know, in July when we have large groups of, you know, 25 to, to 40 or so. Um Another thing we're doing is facilitation. We offer facilitation services for faculty retreats for departments, which I think is um, somewhat unique to what we're doing. Um, we're also going to start looking at offboarding, and we've not gotten into that very deeply, but feel that we don't really do um, the best job in that, but I think that's a, a good opportunity to look at continuity and having faculty know that we are there for the entire faculty life cycle from when they're first recruited um, and onboarded, working with them through um, their promotion and tenure, um, and then when they're leaving to, to have it be a smooth transition and um, help them with succession planning and, you know, how do you um, try to keep um, faculty who want to retire but have all this knowledge base um, somewhat involved or, again, plan for, um, plan for succession. Now, that, that's fascinating. Patrick did talk with us about the faculty onboarding every other week, and I, I almost fell off my chair because I thought that was a huge lift to do that every other week. As you mentioned, we are one of those schools that does it once a year. We do it in right. October and have over 100 people sit there, and some of them may have been there at Hopkins a week. Some may have been there almost a year. And right. you know, some had been done the, doing their training there. So and some had had by that time will have had departmental level uh, orientation. So you're right. It's kind of a hit and miss and it's a, an all day thing. But I can't believe that you folks do that every other week. And um, I'm so curious to hear more. Can you talk more about offboarding? I know you said it's kind of new when you're getting into it. But but how did this come up? What 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 brought this to your attention that needed um, programmatic investment in a whole like a whole system versus what we do is we offer uh, exit interview opportunities for our faculty who leave. And, and frankly, less than 20 percent take us up on that offer to do either an online exit interview, a telephone interview or an in-person exit interview. So I'm curious to hear more about offboarding because that is something new um, to the Faculty Factory podcast Right. Well, and we're doing something very similar, it sounds like, to what you're doing now. We do what we call a transition feedback interview, where when we find out faculty are leaving um, and have officially resigned through human resources, we get an email, and then um, our administrative people contact their office to set up a meeting with either Patrick or I to do a, a formal exit interview, um, or they can do it online. We do have a... Um, a link we can send to them in looking at trends as to why people are leaving. Um, every now and then we will have something though that's not a trend, but it's important enough to where we do need to, to investigate, you know, this is something that happened and that, um, that could be problematic. But, um, one of the things that happened, um, over the past year, our com there was a compliance group that we're looking at, you know, people leaving, um, faculty specifically, and a lot of areas were not informed about it, although they're getting this email. But we were looking at how can we 
um, organizationally make sure that faculty have, you know, signed off on records that they need to sign off on, that they've done succession planning, that um, I would even envision how are the departments making sure that if they're leaving our patients, then being referred to other people. I don't know how detailed we're going to get into it, but um, I think there's a lot of room for what could be done or sharing best practices with the different departments. Um, we are now faculty affairs not only for the School of Medicine but for all schools on the campus, although the bulk of our, our faculty are in, um, in the School of Medicine. So it, it's a large undertaking. Um, Vicki Skinner, who was in our office as a project manager before moving on to become a, um, the director of con- continuing health professional education, um, she had um, interviewed a lot of different people on campus to see what what is necessary, and so I'm going to go back through all of her notes and um, kind of re um, reinvigorate that effort and and see what we can do. So I'll share more as we learn more. So complicated because similar to your process, we find out faculty are leaving after a monthly. It's called our advisory board of the medical faculty, and that advisory board of the medical faculty is all the department directors. Or chair, chair, mm-hmm. the dean. So once a month, it's the dean and all the higher level executives and all those department directors. And that is when um, departures are announced and it goes to our registrar's office. And then we get a monthly data dump of faculty who are leaving. But the strange mm-hmm. thing is, you know, again, it's all the, you know, the, the devils in the details is that sometimes by the time after this monthly meeting and then the monthly download, Faculty have already left by the time we get that information or may, due to a number of reasons the departments themselves may not find out till too late or someone they don't let the advisory board know and then the registrars trying to clean up some information. It's a really um, just a goofy process for us that we'll try to contact people and they'll say, well, I left four months ago. And so it's so frustrating to get at what, you know, you're trying to get at this, you know, offboarding and especially transitioning, how do you mm-hmm. help people develop succession plans if they're already one foot out the door or already driving across the country moving? And and so that kind of speaks to, you know, we have to maybe back that cart up some. And as we all develop these kind of systems for transitioning, that we build that into our repertoire so people know that if they're starting to think about transitioning, that we can help them do that. And then, then you add the whole other layer, you know, Kathy, I know you know about our late career faculty services. What about mm-hmm. people who are just leaving for another job, but they're wanting to transition out of full-time, re- full-time employment? So how can we help them transition into part-time or, as you mentioned, having all that institutional memory and that wealth of experience that they can still contribute, but dial that back a bit? So I think there's lots of opportunity. And our system, we have to get better, I think, at least we do it, data and communicating um, moves so that we can train for things and, and do a good job of succession planning before people are out the door. Right, right. Key is how do we make faculty feel comfortable enough to talk about it early on and that it's not okay, they're leaving, we're going to kick them to the curb or, or, you know, people feel there's almost retribution, so to speak. Um, how do we make them feel comfortable to where they can talk about it and um, if they know that we can work with them on transition. So um, it's going to be an interesting journey. I think it would be a great thing to present to the, to the GFA once we um, can find, if we can find some practices that will work. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about your faculty departmental retreats? You mentioned that. And, and we, I guess since I've been at Hopkins almost six years, I've been asked maybe a half a dozen times, if, do you know anybody who facilitates retreats? And, and I always offer because I enjoy that. I'm an, you know, off the chart e extrovert. So I love getting people together and having fun and, and, um, so I, I enjoy that retreat planning process. However, I guess a lot of that work is done by our organizational development. We have a an OD group, and so that's they have expertise in that area. So I don't get a lot of that. And then I find out departments have had retreats or divisions have had retreats, but then they they contract with someone from out outside. So how how have you built up that um, whole tool toolkit there? My master's degree is in workforce training and development, so that's part of how I first got involved in it. And then Vicki Skinner, who was working in our office um, in that project manager role, she um, is in the military, and she does training for the military. So that's one of the reasons why we were able to first start doing this, is she and I both felt comfortable working with departments on um, on the facilitation, but we also saw the need, like you were just speaking of, when departments were, you know, paying astronomical fees to hire someone to come in from the outside to do some things that we thought, if, if we know it's far enough ahead of time, we can actually help them do that. And so, um, what we would do is meet with departments, find out, you know, when they're having or planning to have their t- retreat, give them some best practices for, um, you know, planning ahead of time what what it could look like and depending upon if um if they had a department that people got along or say it's a new chair and they think there's going to be some discord different type of exercises and maybe icebreaker type of things to get people on the understanding that you know we're all in this together type thing so depending upon what they needed we would work with them on that and then actually on the day of the um the event um be there to um help make sure things run smoothly. If things got off track, keep them on track. That's one of the things that, that we would let them know ahead of time. You know, we will be responsible for the timekeeping of it. Um, in some cases, we were scribes as far as with um, flip chart paper. We have found, though, it's, it's better if we put the different people that are there in charge of that, and then at the end of the day, collect it, give it back to them, and then they take it back. So we really we're there kind of to more help manage it so that they can, everybody in their department can be involved in addition to the chair and they're not having to manage it, so to speak. But, um, but we're very upfront that we, we do want the departments to know that the chairs, um, ultimately are responsible for the department and making sure that, you know, people show up that, um, that they will follow up on the information that they gather to actually do something with it. So it's not, um, I guess, a futile, you know, uh, purpose for getting together. Um, but it's, it's worked out pretty well. And um, news kind of travels. And when Patrick meets with the different chairs on different issues, and a lot of times he'll say, well, you know, have you thought about getting your people together? And sometimes they haven't, sometimes they haven't. But um, so that's kind of how that, that came to be. You mentioned follow-up and how, you know, it's always frustrating when you put some effort into something and then ideas happen and then nothing gets gets implemented. So I, I'm curious, could can you think of an example of where there were some, you know, resolutions or suggestions and and what was the level of your contribution in that? So I, I when you said you take the flip chart paper, I imagine you're you're then documenting something and then you, you give a little report back or you 
Uh, how does that look in terms of your nudging them or helping them after the fact to implement the things? Or are they kind of basically on their own and then you really don't know if they implemented those those actions? We really have not had a lot of follow-up with that. I have had um, departments where um, we did departmental retreat and we've taken the information that you helped us with. We're doing things and now we want to have another one to see how we've done since then. Uh, part of that is also Patrick, in when he meets with the different chairs, um, talking with them, and he tries to also recommend that, that they have like a six-month follow-up to see, okay, how did we do? And, and also letting the, the faculty know that this is not just a one-time thing um, because we felt we needed to meet. Um, but we probably, as far as follow-up, that would be something that we could actually try to implement um, and, and put into places, letting them know, okay, you know, in three months, six months, we're going to follow up to see how things are going. Um, we've kind of heard about it informally, but we're kind of, I would say, more at the beginning stages. We've been doing this for the past couple of years, but it's not been really a long-term, long-term thing yet. I don't do any follow-up, frankly. I mean, I in the past, the few that I've done, I've written up the flip chart paper, made some observations, some recommendations, and then I'd hand it over and, and that's, that's it. And so I really don't do any follow up either. And it, they're always kind of, as much as I love them, they're kind of, uh, you know, borderline uncomfortable because you know, you always have that group of faculty members there who are there under duress. You know, they're like prisoners of war. They, they are so angry that they're there. There's that level of skepticism. And so I always kind of, that is like a challenge to me. Those, those tough nuts, I want to make sure they, they laugh and enjoy themselves and see value. And I was just thinking as you're talking, the last retreat I did was a Saturday morning. I think we were there from seven till two with surgeons. And uh-huh. so we said, number one, you know, recommendation, what do you want? And, and they did this little poll and the number one recommendation is no retreats on Saturdays. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Understandable. So there's that always that kind of conflict of, well, are we getting, we're not getting paid to be here or, and this is taking away from family time and you all talk about joy in medicine and work-life balance and here we are on a Saturday morning and you're making us do these things. And so you, you kind of feel it's this, you know, this sweet, sour kind of mix of, oh, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to manage when you have that crowd of like, I feel sorry for you and yet this is important work and yeah, you're right. You know, we shouldn't do it on a Saturday, but how else are you going to fit in all the schedules? And Oh, boy. That is right. That is true. Now, you talked about, you said there are lots of other schools or many other schools. How many other schools are there in Mississippi Medical Center? Well, we, we're the only um, medical school in Mississippi. But you said faculty affairs for the other schools also. So are there others like uh, graduate school or health sciences school or nursing school or public health school? Right. So the other schools on our campus, we have a school of nursing, a school of um, dentistry, a school of health-related professions, um, a school of population health, and then we do have um, graduate studies, which is not its own school, so to speak. It's a program, but the faculty in graduate studies are actually faculty from um, primarily our school of medicine that are that are within that school. Um, and our school population health is relatively new. 
um, that has brought some challenges because, you know, we've, we've talked about in the, in the GFA about how, how do you define faculty? Right. Well, with our School of Population Health, their faculty in a lot of cases are very non-traditional. And so they don't really fit our mold of assistant, associate, and professor and all, um, because in a lot of cases they don't have a terminal degree. And so we've had to be somewhat creative in working with them. But I do think, um, you know, across the country and looking at, at faculty, we're probably going to have more and more of that depending upon programs that, that come in. But um, So that's been a little bit of a challenge. But, um, you know, in working with the different schools, we're, we're brought um, – it's brought to our attention that we have a lot of gray. Sometimes it's not – this is the way it is, or that's not the way it is, but we have to look at things individually to look at, okay, what's, what should we be doing and should we be doing things differently in this particular instance, so to speak. Yeah, you're right. I can see a lot of commonalities. Surely all the faculty would have to have a similar, you know, understanding of what your institution, all the, the values that are important to you and your mission and code of conduct. And then you get into faculty, basic faculty development. I can see that there be a commonalities about leadership and mentoring and communication and teamwork and difficult conversations. So a lot of that would be probably um, transferable. But yeah, there's probably so many nuances about promotion and getting different positions that would be so nuanced. That would be, that would be difficult. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Any interesting stories you'd like to share about um, anything that's happening lately or on the horizon or things you're looking forward to? Um, well, I, I think we're we're really um, looking forward to having this new um, director of faculty development because we have not historically had that centered in our office. Um, when Vicki was in the role as project manager, she um, for a year actually went around interviewing and doing focus groups on our campus of what do we need to do as far as faculty development goes. Um, we do have some faculty development as far as teaching goes um, through our academic affairs that Rob Rockhold does, which is which is great for the organization, but um, there's not really been a hub for faculty development. And so uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, and it's been very necessary. And, and people need it, and we know they need it, and so we're looking forward to bringing in, um, bringing in someone to do that. Um, now, are you hiring internally for that, or is there an external announcement for folks listening that there's a posting outside? It's going to be a hundred percent FTE, or how's that going to go? It's going to be a hundred percent FTE. Um, we have, um, I think the the it, it was posted externally, but the the process has closed, so they do have some candidates that. That, um, that are in the process of being interviewed. Um, so it's going to, like I said, be new and different. Um, that person will also be working with our um, standpoint data, uh, promotions and tenure. Um, a lot of things that Johnson was doing are folding into that in addition to expanding to be, I guess, more specific. Although when Patrick um, in our office looked at that role, a lot of what Johnson was doing is related to development, you know, faculty development. So, um, so I think it's going to fold in nicely. So, um, you know, we're interested in looking at that. Um, another thing I think that has kind of evolved, we had so much 
continuity of people within our office. And then over the past six months, we've had several people transition out due to different things, but it's, it was all good things. So, you know, Vicki went on to be the director of continuing professional health education at our, at our campus, which is, was a great thing for her. You know, Johnson went to another organization and moved into a higher role within faculty, um, faculty affairs and development. Um, we had one of our um, recruiters, our director for recruiting, she moved to Alabama and is working for a national recruiting company. So in our administrative assistant became a project manager and went on to be in our CMO's office. So we feel we're growing people, which is, which is good. And we think that they're better off for having been with us. And, um, and so it's not been a negative thing, but it's a growing thing and then helping us learn as a department. How do we then transition to new people, bring in new and different skills? Um, we've always been about having people with different skill sets because we think that makes us stronger uh, because we are so different. Um, and that's going to continue. So we've, we've got a lot of good things to look forward to with, with our office developing and growing and bringing in new people. You're right, Kathy. I mean, it's so change can be, it's so disruptive, but it's so necessary. And I just think just stirring the pot and getting things, you know, excited and new and putting in new ingredients, um, it, you just have to reinvigorate. I mean, like you said, you've been in your role for nine years. And so I, I would actually get nervous when, if we had the same, same, same all the time, because then I'm starting to think we may become irrelevant, right? A new generations coming up and new new tools and resources and techniques and medicine is changing so fast that we have to keep up with the way our faculty learn and want information and new compliance and regulatory issues. And we have to be up to speed with that. So I, I agree with you that it's, you know, we need to be reinvigorated. And I love that you, University of Mississippi Medical Center, and I know Patrick Smith talked about this for years, he takes it to heart to really uh, empower staff and people on his team to grow to the next level. So you're clearly while walking the walk there with equipping people with new skills to be better leaders and to to move forward. And so that's always a good, you know, it's, it's sad when you lose people, even faculty, but we say this is a, hopefully if they're leaving for good things, it's you're proud, you know, you're, they're leaving the nest and you're proud to have them bear your insignia that they did their, some work and learned and shared you know, part of their lives with you at that time. So it, right. it can be so disruptive and scary. And uh, I'm always curious how the, fortunately you've had that, you know, Luann Woodward for a while, and it sounds like she's really invested in faculty and cares a lot about the issues. And so she's clearly empowered your office to do um, important work and to be and giving you space to create new and interesting things. So that sounds like it's really been a good relationship with her. It, yes, it, it really has been and has, um, I think, allowed our office and, and people, um, I believe, I, I don't, I don't want to use the term respect, but I guess that's a good term. They respect our office. They come to us when they want help, um, because they know that we're here for them. And that's one thing that we do try to strive from the very beginning when they start here is that, um, if you need anything and you don't know who to go to, you can come to us. We may not have the answer, but we will find out for you. We will help you along the way. And so that's that's what we um, we really try to do and um, is, is, I guess, part of our mantra, so to speak. Well, that definitely has to be – I think that would be fascinating to study the different schools with the orientation processes and the level of 
faculty feeling like they belong or they fit or they've been the part of the family because the fact that you do this every other week and you're touching faculty so soon right when they come and and welcoming them officially that to me has got it just got to be such a great great feeling for faculty versus you know our method of once a year and by then they feel like well this is nice stuff but it would have been nice to learn nine months ago when I first got here so I give you guys a lot of credit because I know it's a lot of work. I, I don't know that I could, could do that every two weeks, but it's obviously so important. Yeah, it, it is. And that's one of the reasons why we discontinued. We were actually doing it weekly for a couple of years um, and more than a couple of years. But um, we were when we went to a every other week um, payroll for everybody on our campus, then that's when we decided, well, let's let's do this every other week. And we have people start at the beginning of the payroll period. Um but it's very traditional what we do. We bring people in. Um, we talk with them. A lot of people are doing PowerPoints. So then we do have um, – we're in the process now trying to revamp the onboarding. Um, we do a survey, and we actually get very good feedback. Every now and then we'll have someone that will say, you know, you could have just sent that to me in an online module. But on the whole, the people um, – the new faculty like to meet each other. Um, they like to meet the people that that they're going to be working with, um, but we're having younger and younger faculty come through, and I believe that we need to bring in some new technologies, um, and that is our challenge is how do we make it relevant? How do we make people um, feel engaged and not that they're just sitting there getting a knowledge dump? Um, we do get them up and down throughout the day, but, but I think it we're all looking at how we can do it better, and we really are trying this year to, to put some new things into place. I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but um, we're working with our information systems people. Um, even if people are going to have PowerPoints, how can they be more effective with, um, you know, more pictures, more animation, as opposed to just your plain old PowerPoint with the bullets type thing? You said something that, that I is so important to me, and I, I emphasize this all the time, is that you hit on something that we cannot ignore. And that is the networking. They like to meet each other, you said. And that is so, I, I see that over and over and over again. So if some people will poo-poo the, ha- the faculty development experience in our seminars and workshops and lectures and trainings and leadership programs, and yet you come down to the basics, we have, I think, as a culture, so few opportunities where people actually engage personally, eyeball to eyeball, paying attention, being in the moment, because now technology is in between all of us. And so when we actually take time to put people in dyads or small groups or small teams and rooms where they're looking at each other, shaking hands, talking, laughing, it really brings it down to the basics, like historic, sitting around a campfire, telling stories, connecting on a human level. And I don't think we will ever, ever, you know, lose or well, I don't think we'll ever come to the point where we think that's not important. And I guess if we do, right. that's going to be a scary time because we're all human beings. And yeah. That's where you people learn about, oh, you moved from Texas. Oh, I came from Texas. Oh, you have two kids. I have two kids. Oh, you're going to, you're looking for daycare or that neighborhood. That's where they start connecting and even more feeling like, okay, I can see myself building a life here. And the life is about the people around us and the opportunities to engage on a, a human level. So I love that you're doing that, and, and it sounds like you're giving them opportunities to also connect personally. Yeah, and, and it's, like I said, it's been, I think, very well received. And we do have 
people that will say, you know, I've been to multiple um, academic medical centers and, and never been through this kind of experience. So, so it's been good, and it, and it does make it worthwhile. And um, because our different um, entities on campus are getting to meet with the faculty at the beginning, and then they have less problems in the long run because they've met with them and gave, given them the expectation. Patients at the beginning, I think they've also realized the importance of it. Even if you have one person um, or however many faculty you have starting, then that's fewer people in the long run that are um, going to get on trouble on the back end because they didn't do something correctly. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us today, Kathy? Um, I think that is it. I um, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and um, to learning what other people have have um, have shared with you and um, share all of our stories for the, the GFA so that we can make all of us stronger and better and hopefully learn from each other. You got it, Kathy. We're going to look forward to hearing more about your offboarding process there and your new program you're building. I think that's going to be really important. We will definitely all be able to uh, learn a lot from that. So we'll keep our eye out for that in the future. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.